From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode 232, and today's show is brought to you by Eero, Lunar Display, and Squarespace. My name is Mike Hurley, I'm back in the hosting chair today, just so I can have the honor of introducing Federico Vatici. Hi, Federico. Hi, Mike. Uh, it's good to be first again in we the introduction. We have overthrown the shackles of Stephen Hackett. Yeah. The Hackett shackles. And uh, we're back in charge. Uh, he, once again, he's been fired. His mm-hmm. uh, contract with Relay FM has been terminated. And he's out somewhere in America on a road trip. Yep. He's never coming back. So uh was a good show with you, Stephen. Uh, it's going to be even better with Mike and I alone <laughs> without your over overpowering uh tyranny um no more no more tyranny uh so we will we're going to move away from no follow-up we're going straight into topics today just hashtag content all the way and we're going to start off uh, i actually just want to read some quotes to you federico is that okay that's that's fine yes so i'm going to read you a quote from a mac rumors article about USB 3.0 and 3.1 being rebranded. Oh All right. So I'm just <laughs> well, going to read this. If you can, it's going to be a mouthful, but good luck. So appreciate, dear listeners, you're not going to be able to follow this. That's kind of the point. So USB 3.0 and 3.1 are being rebranded. So this is from the quote from Mac Rumors. This is, this is no uh, fault of Mac Rumors, by the way, that this is so confusing. Going forward, USB 3.1 Gem 1 with transfer speeds up to 5 gigabytes per second, which used to be called USB 3.0 prior to a separate rebranding, will be called USB 3.2 Gen 1, while USB 3.1 Gen 2, which has transfer speeds of up to 10, point, uh, 10 gigabytes per second, will now be called USB 3.2 Gen 2. USB 3.2 Gem 1 with transfer speeds of up to 5 gigabytes per second is also also now called Superspeed USB. USB 3.2 Gen 2 with transfer speeds of up to 10 gigabytes per second is also now called Superspeed USB 10 gigabytes per second. The USB 3.2 Gen 2 by 2 specification with transfer speeds of up to 20 gigabytes per second is now called Superspeed USB 20 gigabytes per second. What is going on? Mm-hmm. What is this? Everything is USB 3.2 now, basically. Yes. So. Even your computer from 2012 is now USB 3.2 compliant. Um, And, you know, the thing that really gets to me, I mean, fine, you want to retroactively upgrade everything to USB 3.2, whatever. The USB consortium, whatever it's called, the implementers forum, they are well known for messing up the, the spec labels every few years. This is what they do. I don't know why they like to do this so much but it's been going on since the USB 1 days. So this is a perfect USB consortium playbook that they're following. But why do you have to call it USB 3.2 Gen 2 per 2? How do you say that? 2 by 2? 2x2? I say 2 by 2, because that's what the x typically means. But but why? Yeah, I don't know why. why. The thing that frustrates me the most about this is why are they calling USB 3.0 3.2 now? It doesn't make any sense. And also, I think the thing that maybe annoys me more is they called it Super Speed USB, right? Why didn't they just yeah. come up with a distinct brand name for each of the generations? I don't know. Right? I like Super Speed, and Hyperspeed, Mega Speed. And then we could you know, all understand. Like Pokemon. <laughs> like, whatever like Pokemon it is, evolution. right? Like whatever it's going to be, but like... Calling everything 3.2 Gen 1, and the fact that there already was, like, 3.1 Gen 2 is now (laughs) 3.2 Gen 2. That doesn't make any sense. Why? Also, (laughs) these nicknames, they are changing, because before, 
The 5 gigabit per second was called Super Speed, and the USB 3.1 Gen 2 was called Super Speed Plus. Now they're also changing the nicknames. Mm. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Um, they should do because the Wi-Fi, the Wi-Fi standards, they went yeah. through this recently, right? Yes. Where they actually started to make sense of their names a little bit. Yeah. Is that With right? Wi-Fi six. Yeah, they yeah. Uh, adopted Wi-Fi six instead of saying. Um, N or G or uh, in, B. I think or it was R. AX. I think yeah. the latest generation was 802.11 AX. Uh, they just said, you know what? This has gotten out of hand. We're just going to call it Wi Fi 6. And that's a beautiful move. It makes perfect sense. Like, I don't want to go to my mom and be like, uh, you got to buy a new modem for, you know, for better Wi Fi. You should seek out a 802.11 AX. She's just going to stare at me and do nothing. Mm -hmm. Instead, I can just say, buy one that says on the box Wi Fi 6. And then and the number it. just goes up. And like, so what they've also done is applied numbers one through five backwards in time just to make things yep. clear. Yeah. And like, that's what the USB consortium needs to do. Like, this reminds me of um, Intel. Like, when Intel used to have like, six numbers to work out what their mm -hmm. processes were. And then they changed that lakes. to like the core <laughs> duo thing. Like yeah. th they moved it to there because it became, they started to get hurt basically. I think like AMD, this is years ago. This is like 15 years ago. And one of the reasons it was believed AMD was starting to take them over is because people couldn't understand what chips they were buying anymore because the naming yeah. came, became too difficult. Yeah. And now like their names now is starting to veer back towards that direction a little bit with like, what are they even called? Like the i7 and i5, but at least you can work out that seven's more than five because some, mm -hmm. like when back in those days before the core stuff, bigger number didn't necessarily mean more powerful chip. It was just mm -hmm. like, whatever, like the numbers, like yeah. they've got their own system yeah. and they're just going to work out. It reminds me of TV brand naming, right? Yeah. Where it's just like 16 characters and that's like somehow a TV brand. Or like my Sony headphones, which are impossible yes. to pronounce. Yep. Um, like if the USB consortium was in charge of naming processors, they wouldn't call it the Core i7. They would say the Core i5 plus 2. Uh, that's what they would do. Uh, because Super they like speed. to have the... <laughs> um, but seriously, what concerns me about this piece of news is that, okay, now all of these devices are... Um, they support USB 3.2. So in the, in the case of the 2018 iPad Pro... Um, this means that technically it graduates from supporting USB 3.1 Gen 2 at the highest transfer rate to USB 3.2 Gen 2, so 10 gigabit per second. Um, I bet that some people, when they will read the news that the iPad Pro is compatible with USB 3.2, they will search for what's the fastest USB 3.2 cable I can find. For data transfers, mm -hmm. you know, especially if the iPad Pro gains officially uh, official uh, USB support, yeah, they will search for those cables, and they, I mean, the cable will be retro compatible, so that's not a problem. But they will not get their money's worth out of the purchase because the iPad Pro will not be able to push twenty gigabit per second. Well, everybody so, knows you want the gold plate cables anyway. Yeah, sure. So everything moves um, faster with the gold plate uh, cables. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, so anyway. This is just confusing the the, U, the the people who work at the USB if. I think it's also beautiful that they're called the USB implementers forum, the USB if. If only they knew how if normal only. people they knew how normal people operate and how uh, human beings like to talk. Um, I feel that there would be some progress there, but no. So USB 3.2 Gen 2 by 2 
is now the highest standard. There are no devices, I think, at the moment. Um, no tablets or... Uh, I don't think the MacBooks uh, even support this. Um, the 20 gigabit per second transfer rate via USB. Um, but we'll see. I guess that new Apple display, maybe. Uh, you know, and the Mac Pro, maybe. 2019, mm -hmm. they will support this spec. But we'll see. We'll see. Also, before we move on today, I uh, wanted to mention just a quick rumor from Mark Gurman uh, reporting at Bloomberg that Apple are performing internal testing on a version of the Apple Watch with an integrated sleep tracking ability. Uh, Gurman says that it will be added to the Apple Watch by 2020. My assumption means that this that means this year, but he's like hedging it a bit. I don't know why mm -hmm. you would say by 2020, but it's like uh, when he says uh, when he uses those expressions like at the latest or at the earliest. Like, yeah, to try and find ways to not pin down a specific deadline uh, because he, he was bitten by that in the past before. So I would be surprised if it's not you know the watch mm, series. Five, five, Is that yeah, five. Yeah, in, the, in theory this year, Series Five and WatchOS Six, though. Yeah, so one more version. Yeah, I think it's gonna be a late 2019 thing, um, and that's gonna be great because uh, there was somebody on Twitter. I think it was David Smith, probably, um, arguing in favor of Apple doing their own solution for sleep tracking because yes, a bunch of apps, including David Smith's own. Uh, exist to sort of have sleep, sleep tracking on the watch right now. But those apps, they have to use um, all these workarounds, mm -hmm. you know, that, um, that look into the uh, activity data pushed from the Apple Watch to the iPhone's uh, health app to sort of try and guess when you were sleeping. But if Apple were to do a native feature, they could use all kinds of private APIs and low-level integrations in the, in the chips and in the sensors of the watch to be more precise and more battery efficient. So that this is going to you know, be great. Which will probably still be good for people like Underscore because while he won't be doing the tracking of the sleep, he could pull the data from health yeah. and visualize it, right? Yeah, like, so. exactly. Um, uh, my expectation here and the way that I think they're going to do this, so obviously the battery life needs to be good and better. Maybe like They're going to have to get better battery life to mean consistent with battery life to have a feature like this. But one of the big differences is people take their watches off at night a lot of the time and they, mm -hmm. they charge them. So I think that if I was going to just completely wish cast this whole situation, uh, I bet the next, next watch is Qi. Um, they moved to Qi. Uh, one of the reasons I think they're going to move to Qi is like what Samsung's doing with the S10 and the new watches. So you, Because you know the iPhone might have this bilateral charging, right, where you can charge devices on the phone. So... The mm -hmm. Apple Watch isn't Qi charged, so you wouldn't be able to charge the watch from the phone. So I reckon they're going to make the the watch Qi charging so you can charge it off the phone. It's like another thing of like, oh, you can just give a top up if you need it from your iPhone. Yeah. But the other thing I think that, it, you know, it, that somehow, I don't know if this is the case, but like I imagine them being like, oh, you just wear it all night. And then in the morning, you just take your watch off when you take a shower and you put it on your air power mat. And because it's Qi charging, it now will charge faster than before. So, like, you, you could charge it more quickly, and then you won't notice any difference with the fact that you've taken the watch off and, or that you've had it on all night. Like, it will be able to, to charge more quickly to, like, 80% or whatever. That's kind of my imagination of how they're going to pitch this whole thing because I can't imagine multiple day battery life, especially if you're doing the sleep tracking. Um, so they need to find, like, a way... 
to make the charging stuff less inconvenient or just like or make it more convenient right and the charging from the iphone and or it just being chi um enabled would make that a lot easier for people that's a good theory i think it would it would be in character i think of it apple would seem say. super strange to me if, if apple added the bilateral charging purely for airpods no mm. so yeah. i i think as well like i mean i said this before right that like uh, my my feeling remains that I, I think air power. I, I'm still not convinced that it's going to come out, and I think it's going to be cheap only. Still, okay, well, okay. I'm not convinced it's going to come out within the timelines that the rumors currently state of like within the first half of the year because I think they're just going to go to cheap only. I think having to have also the app, the proprietary Apple Watch charging stuff in the same pads is one of the reasons that they've struggled with this because it's a lot of coils if you're going to allow this stuff to be placed wherever you want on the mat, right? Because you need both charging technologies in the same place multiple in multiple places throughout the mat, right? So, you, so imagine you need three coils in the mat where well, you need six, right? Because you've got to have three for Qi and three for the Apple Watch if you're just going to allow complete random placement along the mat. So I think this is probably one of the things that's made it tricky because that's a lot of stuff going on there. Um, and a lot of power management and a lot of heat management um, in a device like that. So I think that might be where they're struggling. And I reckon the Apple Watch is going to go to Qi anyway because it just makes sense for it to do that ultimately. So that's what I reckon is going to happen. Uh, and I also think that if they're going to push for the battery to be charged up more or whatever, make it easier, now should be the time for an always-on display as well. I think that would make sense. I would be sad if it's not if air power is not coming out in the first half of the year. They could do it, but but they could say it doesn't. It just doesn't charge the Apple Watch. It's Qi devices yeah. only. Yeah, but, which would kind of suck. But yeah, especially because they promised like the the whole idea was air power is going to charge all of your Apple devices at once. Mm-hmm. So, but then if they do move to Qi for the Apple Watch, which I think they have other reasons to do it, then they've wasted. A lot I guess of work with the air power. I guess that on I guess that on stage they could say it doesn't work with the Apple Watch yet. Wink, wink. Um, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Mm. I'm a little bit conflicted on this. Obviously, like the air power stuff just seems so strange to me anyway. But um, I also just think it, it makes so much sense for them to try and move the Apple Watch to Qi charging. Uh, but it's if they could do it. I don't know what it takes. I don't know if they're able to get Qi coils in in those products anyway. But Samsung yeah. did it, so I assume Apple can do it too. Yeah, we'll see. All right, talking about what Samsung have been up to, uh, we're going to talk about a specific feature of the S10, which was Mm -hmm. announced last week, um, after we thank our first sponsor for this episode, and that is Eero. With Eero, you can build a Wi-Fi system that is perfectly tailored to your home. Considering the high bandwidth world that we live in these days, you will need a distributed system at home to make sure that you get the best speeds available to you no matter what you want to do and where you want to be. Whether you want to be out in the backyard or in the bedroom, it doesn't make a difference. You want to have the best speed available. And with Eero, you can install an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system in your home in just a few minutes. It starts with the second-generation Eero device that has three 5 gigahertz radios, allowing for increased speed and range. It sits flat on any surface and connects either over Ethernet or wirelessly. Then you can expand the coverage throughout your entire home by adding in Eero beacons. These are small devices that plug directly into the wall 
allowing you to easily reach every corner of your home. Eero also is now introducing Eero Plus, which is designed to provide simple, reliable security to help defend all of the devices in your home from malware, phishing, and unsuitable content. Eero Plus can automatically tag sites that contain violent, illegal, or adult content, so you'll have powerful parental controls at your fingertips. It includes ad blocking functionality to help improve load times for websites that are full of privacy invading ad tracking, and it's also possible to have Eero Plus check the sites you visit against the database of millions of unknown threats to prevent you from visiting anything malicious. Eero Plus even includes subscriptions to one password for password management, malware bytes for antivirus solutions, and encrypt.me as well. So I was super surprised when I went to Stephen's house recently because, and I bring this up because he has like a super unique like situation where he has his studio is just this big concrete room outside of his house at the back of the back garden. So the fact that he could get any Wi-Fi connection out there is a surprise to me, let alone something that is fast enough that he can upload 4K YouTube videos with. Um, Eero does an incredible job of helping spread your internet connection across any size home. It is really impressive stuff. They have a wonderful app too, which is really easy to use. It's fun to be able to see all of the devices that connect to your network and you can turn them off and set like controls and stuff. So it's really, really cool. Never think about Wi-Fi again. Get $100 off the Eero base unit and two beacons package and one year of Eero Plus by going to Eero.com slash connected. And at checkout, use the promo code connected. That's E-E-R-O.com slash connected and the code connected to get $100 off the Eero base unit and two beacons package and one year of Eero Plus. So thanks to Eero for their support of this show and Relay FM. And the feature we're going to talk about is Bixby, right? Bixby, everyone's favorite digital assistant. Yes. So, no, it's not Bixby. Um, we're going to talk about the ultrasonic fingerprint sensor that is embedded in the display of the Galaxy S10 and S10 Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to talk about this because I think it's a it's a fascinating um, piece of technology, like technically speaking, but also in the context of uh, Touch ID being gone from the iPhone and sort of what we think about what Samsung has done and if we miss Touch ID. So, Quick recap, uh, this, uh, in this sensor uh, underneath the display is different from other implementations that we've seen in other smartphones uh, like the OnePlus 6T, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. uh, or the Honor something. There's one of the Honor phones, there's yeah. like the Vivo phone. So we spoke yeah. about different in-display fingerprint sensors yeah. a little while ago in episode 182. But they're a different technology. Yeah, they were based essentially on taking a 2D picture of your finger. Uh, they usually they work by shining a light on you know inside the display so that the the sensor can take a picture of your fingerprint and unlock the phone. These new ultrasonic uh, fingerprint sensors they are based on Qualcomm's uh, technology. They basically work by um, they use sound waves to read your fingerprint. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the sensor. Um, it's called the 3D sonic sensor. It bounces sound waves off your skin and it constructs uh, on the fly a 3D image of your of the ridges and valleys of your fingerprint. And th- this ultrasonic re- um, reader, um, basically the advantage over the, the other implementation that takes a picture, is able to work even if um, 
objects or mm, like water or sweat or uh, you know little uh, particles of dirt uh, are obstructing are you know placed on your skin so it doesn't uh, it's it shouldn't be an issue if like you just walked out of the shower or if your hands are you know, if you just worked out, for example, so you have sweat on your hands, that shouldn't be a problem. Um, and what what makes it interesting, I think, is the fact that you're still going to have like a fixed spot on the screen where you need to place your finger. So it's not like you 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 can place your finger anywhere on the display. There's going to be like an area where you will see on the display like a graphic of a fingerprint and you need to place your finger down and the phone will, will unlock. So before the announcement, I was sort of concerned that just like mostly everybody else who has an iPhone and sort of watches the Samsung event, uh, events with, um, you know, just to make fun of them or just to to be overly to be overly critic of anything that Samsung does. I watch it out of genuine excitement, personally. But, yeah, but yeah. I get your point. I think mo- I think a lot of people do. A lot of people in the Apple community they watch them to make silly jokes on Twitter. Honestly, I think, and I've been and I've you know I've, I've had this opinion for the past few years. I think Samsung they make some pretty awesome phones. Like, they are pretty to look at. There was a period of time where what would happen was Apple would release a phone. This happened for a long time. And then Samsung would release their phone and it would match Apple in mm-hmm. a lot of departments, right? Mm-hmm. Because Samsung have two major phone releases every year. They do the S line in March and then the Note line in, like, October. But what's happening now is, and I think it's happened this time in a few areas... Um, Apple released a phone in September, and then Samsung leapfrogged them in March. Which is the way yeah. it should be, because they have more time. Um, or like it's on a different time frame. So they should be able to put out a device that has new and interesting features. And all of the videos, all of the articles right now are talking about like a few key areas where the Samsung phone is incredible. I'm looking forward to the full reviews from everybody, yeah. but like the S10 looks amazing. Yes, so... Um, I think personally that the S10 Plus it looks better than my iPhone XS Max. See, so you prefer the cut out to the notch. I do. I, I do. So do I. I Visually, think, it's. I think it's more appealing. I think it's visually more appealing. I think you know, just comparing the two, it, even though it may not necessarily be true. I don't know. I haven't done the calculations myself. But it feels like when you look at the display that you're getting more screen out of the cutout approach. And yes, well, you don't yeah, need to th- tell they me. do have a better screen to body ratio because, like, even stuff like the even the bezels that are left are smaller. Yeah. Um. So and yeah, I know like the cutouts there or whatever, but like the notch is a huge cutout. They're all cutouts. Like you know, it it's they're cutouts because this is how it's going to be. But I think one of the other things is right. Like, and the reason that we like this is the iPhone 10 design is not new anymore. This no, is new. I've never seen a phone yeah. like that before. That's um, exciting. Yeah, exactly. It is. And now I know that, you know, you're listening to this episode and you're going to pause and you're going to tweet at us saying, but the notch is bigger because it's got the true depth sensors. Mm-hmm. And this is why we wanted to talk about the fingerprint sensor. Yeah, like, and we know the why display. the notch is there. We face know. ID is amazing. But like, here's the question. Is face ID... Is it though? Better. That's also my question. <laughs> no, but like it's cool, right? Like the facial recognition software that unlocks your phone is awesome. It's futuristic okay. and it works. 
for most pause people, right I think, there. Okay. Pause right there. Okay. I, in the past couple of months, I think a bunch of my friends that got an iPhone for Christmas, mm-hmm. and also more, just more people who are not my friends. Like even today, we were at the doctor's office with Sylvia, and I noticed the doctor now has an iPhone uh, 10s Max, and Face ID was failing <laughs> on her phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the past couple of months, I've gotten so many complaints from my friends and other people saying, but man, that Face ID never works, huh? And I'm like, have I misjudged Face ID because I tend to use it in, you know, uh, in, in optimal conditions, maybe, or maybe I'm more forgiving of those problems? Because a lot of people that I know, they absolutely do not like it. And the common theme is, but are they going to bring Touch ID back eventually? Like, are they going to offer both? And so I think it's fascinating because, yes, I personally, I don't have these problems with Face ID that, for example, Sylvia has or my, my friends have. But it's like it's a complaint that keeps, that keeps coming up with people I know in real life. And so I think it's fascinating that you have Apple going down this Face ID route. They don't care about Touch ID anymore. And you have all these other companies. Like I showed the Samsung video to Sylvia to show her mm-hmm. this new in-display fingerprint sensor. She was like, yes, I want that, but yeah. not on a Samsung phone. So I, I think <laughs> I have a theory about the people's take on it. I think it depends how they're coming into the interaction. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. me and you, and a lot of people that listen to this show, we're excited by Face ID when we first saw yes. it. Because this is yep. the type of stuff we care about. It's like crazy new technology. But I think most people like Touch ID and just think that Face ID won't work for them so well. So we probably have the same success failure rate, but our bias is different. So when yep. I see it failing, I'm less likely to notice it because I'm not really annoyed about it in the first place. But if you're someone who doesn't want it to change, you like what you had, or you think it's not going to work for you, you're more likely to recognize and be frustrated by every time that it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I think that it's like, these. I think both of these are perfectly valid, by the way. Like if you liked Touch ID and it worked for you, and now Face ID doesn't work for you in the same way, then you are perfectly valid to be annoyed by it. Um, I have watched a bunch of videos now about the S10. Yep. I would prefer the ultrasonic fingerprint sensor to Face ID on my iPhone. (laughs) On my iPad, I want Face ID. But on my iPhone, I want the fingerprint sensor. I want both. Well, yeah, okay. But, I'm, I, you know, it's just like, I, I'm not imagining a, 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 that scenario. We can get to the both scenario in a bit, but like mm-hmm. if we're just going to choose. And the reason, the reason I want it, there are a bunch of scenarios where Face ID doesn't work as well as Touch ID. So yeah. Apple Pay being one of them, because I yes. always have to have my phone to my face. And in the UK, we use uh, Apple Pay to go through turnstiles for trains. And I'm always finding myself being held up. And this never happened to me before because I didn't need to look at the display. And I yep. know that, as you were saying, that's like it's not the full display, but the place in which you would be using your fingerprint on the S10 it's like a place that you understand. You know where it is. It's where yeah. your thumb goes. It's oh, what totally. you're used to. And it's to, big right? enough, really. It's yeah, big it's enough. big enough. So you know, stuff like that. Um, any um, way, any buying apps in the App Store stuff is always annoying, right? Like doing the double click and then doing the face. I don't like having to do Maybe that. Maybe you're lying down in bed. You know, you want to download mm-hmm. a game. and it, Yeah. 
The fact that it only does work in one orientation on the iPhone is really annoying. But like for for my iPad, uh, because my iPad tends to be further away from me, it works in all orientations, it's better. And maybe if Face ID gets to all orientations on the iPhone and stuff like that, it may alleviate some, some of my concerns because then maybe it will have a better viewing angle in general so I won't have as many problems with, with Apple Pay and stuff like that. But I look at this Samsung thing and it's like, oh, well, there's a thing here. Like, not only does that mm. look cool, it looks faster because it doesn't look slower than the old fingerprint sensor and the fingerprint sensors definitely feel slower than the, the, the Face ID does. And I think I really like that. Yeah, yeah. And... um. It, it really, it was just nice to be able to unlock your phone without looking at it. Like, you know, there's some things that I can do on my phone just out of muscle memory. For example, I can unlock, swipe left, I know I'm in the widget, and then I can just tap and run a shortcut. This is something that I do all the time to shuffle a playlist on Apple Music. But now I need to look at my phone because otherwise it won't unlock. Like, I was uh, watching the MKBHD video about it, uh, about it that came out this morning. Yeah, he did a really, really great video about the display, and, and he did some amazing testing on the fingerprint yeah. sensor. So he tested uh, this sensor um, by uh, with some water. So mm-hmm. he had like a ball of water, and he tried to uh, try with a wet finger to see if it worked, and sure enough, it did. Then he tried with screen protectors, and so the plastic screen protector was not a problem for the fingerprint sensor of the S10, but the glass screen protector, which, by the way, Samsung does not sell, so he tried an iPhone one. But um, apparently, they are either making them or they're going to be making ones which have a hole in the middle, which is just hilarious to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the glass one, if it covers the all the fingerprint sensor, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, he looked damn impressive. Like it was fast. It was accurate. It worked with water. It worked with plastic on top of the sensor. I also really liked how he was showing how you don't even need to apply any pressure or leave your... like It's like super fast. It's like super, super fast. And I find that impressive because this is new technology, which is better than the old technology, which is... I know that sounds weird, but like when when you make these weird leaps, like Face ID got a bit clunkier than Touch ID because it was new. Well, these ultrasonic fingerprint sensors, it may as well be new technology to the to the optical ones that were before because it's so wildly different or like the way yeah. that it was being done on the iPhone or on, when they were on the back of phones or whatever. But like this is just an, a real interesting leap in technology because it allows you to have a fingerprint sensor on a phone in a, a good area for a fingerprint sensor, right? Like I like fingerprint sensors on the back, but I also like them on the front. Like it's like, you know, they, they both have their advantages. But like this is a technology that then also allows them to continue pushing the screen tech in weird and interesting ways. And having to have the fingerprint sensor doesn't mean that they can't do interesting stuff with the screen. And that's what Apple had to do, right? Like Apple made the decision, like one way or another, that like for them to get the screen the way they wanted, they had to go with a different form of recognition for like security stuff so they they removed face they removed touch id to put face id and it allowed them to go edge to edge but you know like, i mean there could be a recency bias of like this is the new technology but i do look at it and i'm like oh man i'm very jealous i want that feature yeah. like i want and that feature 
The problem is I don't I don't see Apple uh, walking back from Face ID nope. and saying no we're gonna do fingerprints again. So here's a here's a question on that right because this is what I thought and a while ago somebody tweeted this to me and it was an incredible observation and I wish I remembered the person's name but if you're out there thank you I hadn't thought of this before and again it's because I'm from a kind of, I'm a different I'm in a different part of the world but in Asia lots of people wear face masks like like yeah. surgical masks right because of it's like cultural and condition like that that's kind of the way that a lot of people spend walk around right they have things covering yeah. their faces face id cannot work there so that is a real problem for a huge part of apple's market and i see something like that and i'm like oh man if i lived in japan i wouldn't buy the new iphone mm-hmm. i would mo- I, I wouldn't want that because it would be so annoying right like if every time you're out of the house, you can't use Face ID or you have to take the mask off, which which means there was no point wearing it in the first place, right? Like so, I look at something like that and I'm like, ah. So then I think, well, maybe they would do something because the normal the normal thinking is like, oh no, they they Apple don't go back, right? Because mm-hmm. any Touch ID is going back. It doesn't matter what that technology is. Well, it's going maybe back. Maybe it's not call touch id anymore <laughs> it's a new thing yeah it, but if it's i mean only we know it's called touch id everybody else knows it's yeah. the fingerprint sensor if they ever start doing fingerprint sensors again it will look like they're going back and and i usually would say like, ah, what would they tell the story i just don't need like so that is why i think they should be doing both i th- i think it could it's more likely to happen for that reasoning if this yeah. is a thing that is a problem for them i could see the argument of we want to offer more choice and we figured out a way to make it work seamlessly and it's secure with the secure enclave and whatever like i could see offering more options as a way to not make it look like apple made a bad decision uh, because there are benefits to face id like you're wearing gloves or, uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> because with the ultrasonic, the sweat and water and dirt and grease and lotion, it's not an argument it, anymore. Well, I mean, when it works, I do f- still consider it to be a nicer experience to just pick up my phone and it be unlocked rather than me needing to perform an action. But it's more like, I think in a, I think uh, from an, idea, uh, an idealistic point of view, yes, you're right. And I think maybe when we were reviewing the new phones two years ago, Maybe we lacked this perspective. I think in everyday usage, like that is not often as true though. Like the the perfect dream of I pick up my phone and it's already unlocked. Like I could either, it either doesn't work or I always see the animation anyway. It still doesn't feel as fast as Touch ID. I still have to swipe up to get to the home screen. So yeah. I'm still doing something and my thumb yeah. is then going where it would have been to just press the home button anyway. So like, yeah. again, it's nice. I still do really like Face ID. I'm not changing course on this. I, I really like it. But it's not perfect. And I don't think I ever really found my... I didn't have any problems with fingerprint authentication i had none right so i don't know i don't know i think this is really i think this is tricky and Mm -hmm. i don't know if i know what the way forward is but i think it's super cool that samsung's doing this because it is also allowing them to make their phones look more interesting and cool because they don't have a notch at least they have a notch in the folding phone 
but that's like a whole other big thing for another time. But there's yeah. no notch in there, S-Line. They can do these weird, cool camera cutouts, which I think look super interesting and, and even more futuristic, right? Because it's like, this is something that I've never seen before. Um, and they don't have to look... They To their customers, I don't know if they're like super or not, because they do facial recognition stuff. It's not secure, but like people that think, oh, I really want facial recognition. Well, you can... It still checks that box, right? Like they still have a version of it because Samsung's had it for years, but it's just been bad and it was easily mm -hmm. fooled because it's using like it's mapping your face with a camera as opposed to all the sensors that Apple uses. Yeah. But then they're also like, not only are they not changing things up for their users, they're offering an alternative for people that are frustrated with facial recognition. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I feel like I really want both Face ID and Touch ID in the same phone. And I'm super jealous of this S10. I wish it could be like a phone that I just try for a week and then return but I don't wanna. I don't wanna go through that entire process. And I'm just. Um, I wish that this is more of a general wish that does not pertain to um, the fingerprint sensor necessarily. But I just wish that more people on Twitter and the people that I follow at least would be more a little more accepting of other companies trying different things because I think it's cool. And uh, you know, some folks that I follow often lack that kind of perspective. They only believe that what Apple does is right and mm -hmm. everything else is wrong. Also, I think it's super cool that they've integrated Instagram into the camera app, so you can just right? post straight to stories from your camera. Like I know, I and know. they have the wide angle lens as well, which looks super awesome. That I, that I want as well. And those, uh, I need to tell you, but those photos, they look punchy to me. Those colors, I mm -hmm. like them a lot. You don't need to modify them to make them look pretty. Uh, but you know it's a personal preference samsung's always been like that though they've know, always had like super high saturation on their photos and like it's been a thing that like i've always liked the pictures that come from samsung phones but i know that i know that they're they're faking it a little bit but yeah i'll put a link in the show notes to a tweet from jeffrey fowler um who took a picture using all three lenses so you can see how good it looks and also get an idea of the uh uh of the the three cameras yeah uh, are you gonna are you gonna buy a s an s10 mic no okay because i have a lot of money to save up to buy the phone and phone yeah really <laughs> are you buying that uh i'm seriously considering it yeah when is it launching again april end of april hmm I know it sounds ridiculous because it's like £2,000 and I 100% yes. reserve the right to return it. But it's like in our pursuit of trying to understand technology, I kind of want to... I want to I be able to understand it and then also be the guy in our circles is the only person who actually has one. So I will have something to say on it, you know? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. considering it. What I would really love is for someone from Samsung to send one to me. But the likelihood of that occurring is about 0% chance because they're going to give those... Even if I was ever to get in front of somebody at Samsung, they would never send me one of those. <laughs> right? I don't think it's impossible. You're, you're not a professional that phone, podcaster. Not that phone. That's going to go to like MKBHD... And, and like the verge this <laughs> looks like there's like two people because apparently like there was like a an article on the verge about this 
they're like barely going to make any of them and they're going to do this like super weird um almost Apple Watch edition like buying process and they're talking about like they want to make sure that everyone has like an element of sales aftercare if they need it like this is a super weird phone but that's also kind of why I'm excited about it I'm really excited by these folding phones and I would like to be able to try and understand what a folding phone means sooner rather than later like what it means to use something like that mm-hmm. so we'll see and uh and the Huawei uh, Mate, Mate X, yeah, is launching in in sometime in sometime mid in the middle of the 20? year. Okay, yeah. okay, all right. But my, I, I think that Samsung have, have made the right decision on folding in rather than folding around with the with the additional external display. Yeah, and whilst this one is super ugly, I think once Samsung get it to a point where they can have a regular phone's display on the front and then a folded display on the inside, I think that will be that's it. Because I just don't. I cannot foresee a situation in which an all plastic covered screen, all your phone is screen, right? And you're just like putting your phone down in places. That thing is going to be destroyed, right? Because it's all plastic. You can't put a case on it. They're going to get scratched to hell. But with Samsung, this plastic part, the scratchable part, is on the inside. So you just close it up and it's protected. So that's why I think that Samsung are onto the right form factor but we'll see i'm interested also to see what ends up winning out but mm-hmm. okay we'll follow up on the galaxy fold purchase maybe process. maybe mm-hmm. i i might end up changing my mind on it we'll see uh okay. today's episode is also brought to you by our friends over at lunar display having extra space and working from your mac is really useful it can make tiresome tasks more enjoyable by removing the tab switching frustration of switching between spaces and also allows you to extend your working desktop a bit allows you to spread stuff out make sure that you've you know everything's sparking joy for you when you're using your mac ipads have amazing displays as well right like they are a perfect device to have more screen real estate from lunar display will let you do that and let you extend your mac's display to your ipad with a tiny little dongle that goes into the back of your mac lunar display can then provide crystal clear image quality reliable performance and wireless flexibility if you don't have access to wi-fi you can just use usb so like i imagine the idea of somebody like traveling and they've got their laptop they've got their ipad they're usually used to a big desktop display well now you don't have to to, like to compromise you can just plug your ipad into your laptop even without a wi-fi connection and you can use your lunar display powered ipad to have more screen real estate with you wherever you are lunar acts as a complete extension to your mac it will support external keyboards Apple Pencil, touch interactions, and the new Liquid Video Engine brings significantly reduced latency and a faster screen refresh rate. I absolutely love my Luna display. You really should get one of these. Like if you have a Mac and you have an iPad and you think, oh, that sounds like a fun thing. I might like that. If you can think of literally any use case, you should pick one up because it works literally as good, if not better than I'm telling you. Like I am constantly surprised at just how well lunar display functions it's wonderful listeners of this show can get an exclusive 10 percent discount on lunar display go to l-u-n-a-d-i-s-p-l-a-y.com that is lunadisplay.com and enter the promo code connected at checkout that's lunadisplay.com and promo code connected at checkout to get 10 percent off our thanks to lunar display for their support of this show and relay fm uh we're both using Evernote again, <laughs> so let's talk about that. Uh, okay, so 
this is something that I wrote uh, a couple of weeks ago on in the Club Max Stories newsletter, Max Stories Weekly. It's gonna be, I think, on the website as well for everybody to read eventually, in probably this week. Um, so my journey to Evernote, um, it did not start with my intention of using Evernote again. It's something that I just stumble upon accidentally, I suppose. Uh, I did not set out to try Evernote again. It just sort of happened when I realized it was what I needed, which I think it's sort of also kind of your journey. Yeah, um, I, I realized <laughs> I was going to use Evernote again whilst talking about it on an episode of Cortex where we were kind of making fun of it. And then I actually realized for a project that I needed a new like app like this for, and I was trying out some of your recommendations, which we're probably going to touch on in a minute, that the one I actually needed was Evernote. And I've been using Evernote for a bit. And I've spoke about that a couple of times on Cortex as well recently. Yeah. And those are really good episodes uh, that you. I recommend listening. Uh, so my process was... Uh, for the past year, I've been using Keep It uh, on iOS and macOS to organize my research material, to um, have an archive of PDF documents that I keep for reference, and to sort of save notes about articles that I'm working on and just more a more permanent place than Apple Notes. For you know, Apple Notes, I save quick bits of uh, you know links and pictures, stuff like that. But in Keep It, I used to have my more serious work-related archive. This started with one of the iOS reviews, right? As a lot of technological yes. changes happen for you. Yeah, it started last spring when I was preparing for, like before going to WWDC, I was sort of taking a look at my process and I realized I need to have a better system before I'm going to start working on the iOS 12 review in June. And I did some research and I think around April or May 2018, I settled on Keep It. So I went to WWC and right there I started saving all of my stuff in Keep It. Um, and the idea was I needed to have an, a reference manager uh, with uh, the ability to create saved searches and to have tags. And Keep It was the best option on iOS. But um, over the past few months, I found myself annoyed at the fact that every time I wanted to save some... I do a lot of... Uh, appending text or files to existing notes. This is something that the Apple Notes app is really good at because it lets you append from the share extension. But in Keep It, um, this was not supported before the latest version of the app. So my switch to Evernote happened before Keep It was updated to version 1.6. But it still does not fix my problems. I was going to mention in a minute. Uh, but anyway... Every time I wanted to append a file or some rich text to keep it, I needed to launch the app. And I made some shortcuts to simplify the process, but it was still involving the whole dance of leave Safari, open, keep it, and go back to Safari, you know, that kind of stuff based on X callback automation. And I realized, you know, it would be really nice if I could have rich text and all kinds of media from PDF attachments to web archive attachments to audio and even video and append this stuff to the same note without ever having to leave shortcuts. So to be able to do this all from Safari and from the shortcuts extension inside Safari or Safari View Controller. And I realized, you know, maybe I should just, this is exactly what Evernote does. 
because Evernote has an open web API and that API is, in, is integrated with shortcuts because you can log into your Evernote account from the shortcuts app and all of the Evernote actions that they had, that the shortcuts has, they do not require you to open manually, like to launch the Evernote app. They just happen through the web. They just happen through your Evernote account. And I hadn't considered the Evernote actions before, but the moment that I tried them again in Shortcuts, I realized, you know, this is such a much better experience than having to launch an app and then go back to what I was previously doing. And Shortcuts has actions to create notes. And when you create notes, you can just pass anything to the Evernote action. It can be text or rich text. It can be some HTML. It can be a PDF. It can be a web archive. It can be anything. And you can specify the title of the note. You can specify tags and even the notebook. But there's also an action to append. And it works the same way. You just need to say... To this existing note, uh, put this text or this file at the bottom, and it just happens in a couple of seconds, and you never leave the shortcuts extension. Um, and you know, I started playing with this, and and I downloaded Evernote on iOS. And I should say, Ryan uh, wrote an article on Mac Stories about how Evernote is surprisingly better than it used to be on iOS, like. They slimmed down a lot of the interactions. They got rid of a bunch of craft that was pro problematic before. It's still not perfect, and there's still a bunch of things that drive me crazy. But Evernote on iOS is better than it used to be. Like it's got keyboard shortcuts. It got, it's got Siri shortcuts. It's got a dark mode even, uh, and it fully supports multitasking. Of course, it's not a terrible app anymore. Uh, even though you know feature parity with the Mac version is still a huge problem for me. Um, but yeah, basically I started playing around with this and I realized, you know, I can have saved searches in Evernote, I can use tags, and I can put together all of these shortcuts. Uh, I basically took all of my Apple Notes and keep it shortcuts, switched the actions at the end with Evernote actions, the native ones that happen through the Evernote account, and now those shortcuts, instead of taking like 10 seconds to execute because I need to leave Safari or I need to leave, I don't know, files and open, keep it, and then go back. They just happen in two seconds and I'm done. And everything is in Evernote. Uh, and I've been using this system for three weeks almost. And it's uh, it's actually quite beautiful. It works really well. And uh, I can append, for example, I can append the clipboard to a note just by talking to Siri and I don't even need to see what happens. It just saves my clipboard from an iPhone to a note. It's called the Evernote Scratchpad. This is a simple shortcut that I have, and it's really handy. So, and also, a final point, because Evernote has an API, it has a Zapier integration. So what I have put together is something that I've always dreamed of. I no longer need to use a Mac to paste actual rich text into Google Docs, or my podcast show notes, I made a shortcut that sends um, basically a, a, a ping to Zapier, to a, to a recipe or whatever it's called on my Zapier account. Uh, and this request just says connected or remaster or app stories. And depending on what it says, Zapier takes what is in the Evernote note belonging to that show. So I have a I have a notebook called Podcasts in Evernote, and into this notebook there are f there are three notes for 
They're called Connected Show Notes, App Stories Show Notes, and Remaster Show Notes. And my Zapier recipe takes the rich text of each note, depending on which one I need, and appends it as rich text, including hyperlinks and highlighted text and bullet lists to the Google document for the show. Um, it happens in five seconds, and I get a pushover notification at the end <laughs> when the rich text has been appended to Google Docs. It is glorious, and I no longer need to lose my formatting or having to use my Mac to do this. So one of the extra benefits of Evernote. Yeah, I mean, for me, my requirements, I don't think, are as much as yours. So like I'm working on a project uh, called Cortex Brand, which is like a uh, me and CGP Grey are working on like a company that makes stuff. It's kind of all we really have can, right now. Can I do it? Can I do it? Yeah, go. Cortexbrand.com. Thank you very much. Um, so right now it's 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 merch, but we have some ideas and we're working through some stuff. Um, stuff for people like us, nerds like us. So the idea is like I wanted to be able to keep a bunch of like website links for stuff that inspires me like pdfs uh notes like we have lists and stuff and some sketches and all kinds of stuff and i started looking around and i started keeping them in apple notes but it was becoming too difficult for me to find everything that i needed and it was also getting all you know like it's full of i use apple notes for everything and i i was unhappy with it being not as simple as i wanted to be able to just look at everything in one go um, so I wanted to find like a separate place for this so I could keep it all kind of like sequestered away from all the other work that I do. Because it's kind of like a side project. It's like also all the email associated to Cortex brand goes into Outlook where I use Spark. So it's like just keeping everything separate from my usual day to day. So so I don't start getting stuff all mixed up. So I was trying out a bunch of apps and I didn't like what I was working with. Like Keep It didn't work for me because I like to write in outlines and that just doesn't seem to want to work in the way that I wanted. Like there was just like like the uh, indents just weren't working with the keyboard. And it's like, that's just inexcusable to me. If you have bullets, if you allow for bulleted lists in your app, the tab key and shift tab should work for indenting and outdenting. Uh, or as Apple calls it, indent left and indent right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what it says in notes. If you do the little, a, you get a little tooltip thing pop up. Um, something that does not exist in the English language. Well, okay. does now. Uh, <laughs> so, like, I wanted a tool that was basically format agnostic, like, and it would suck in whatever I would give it, and that is what Evernote is brilliant at, you know. Um, in in a in, and I've you know I, I wanted something that was available on all platforms and potentially for collaboration as well and this is this ticks all the boxes like like with you evernote is not perfect but i am i i use it infrequently enough that its frustrations don't compound for me like every now and then it's like the ui kind of just like flashes a little bit or like the page just flashes i'm like what are you doing yeah Yes. Why is that yeah. happening? You know, it's like little things like that. If I was using Evernote as my notes app, like I used to today, it would drive me mad. But just as like a kind of what it was always intended to be, like this kind of like outboard brain thing, right? It's just like I could just put stuff in there and it works. That's perfect for me. It lets me write in outline formats really easily, which I like. Um, and the app feels a lot simpler than it used to be. Yeah. And I, you noted this in your uh, Club Max Stories article that they are basically committed to 
making the product better. They have a new CEO who's committed to making the product better in a bunch of different ways this year, So, which is also something just worth keeping an eye on. Um, but I think that so far, Evernote is in a better state than when I left it last. Yeah. And for the type of project that I want to do, it works. Would I want to move my notes.app to Evernote? No, I would certainly not want to do that. Like what you're doing with the show notes stuff is cool, but I couldn't work with my show notes that way. Yeah. Um, like I use notes and it works great for me. So what happened there is um, I actually moved everything to Evernote, both Keep It and Apple Notes. Wow. So right now, right now in Apple Notes, I just have my shared notes because I really like how it works to share with other people. But I no longer keep anything in the Notes app, so it's everything all is in going Evernote. in Evernote. I just I went all in. I want to see what happens. Um, I mean, that is the best way to test a system like that. But like, yeah, exactly. I wasn't looking for something out of frustration at Apple Notes. Like Apple Notes will do basically all mm. of the stuff that I want that I'm using Evernote for. But it, I just wanted a separate place because the notes were starting to get unruly and I don't use the folder stuff in Apple Notes and I don't really want to either because then yeah. if I start putting some stuff in folders, I kind of have to put everything in folders and I think like when you use folders, it reduces the preview lines. It, I also didn't like that when you start using folders, what it does to the general user interface of notes. I don't like that. Um, it's everything starts to get all these icons all over the place and it's like, no, this is not for me. Um, but Evernote is, is working perfectly for, for what I need it to which I cannot believe is a phrase I'm using in 2019. Yeah. Um, I think m what pushed me to also leave Apple Notes was the fact that in the latest Shortcuts beta, they added um, some new Apple Notes actions. Like you can append to a specific Apple Note with a shortcut action, um, but they only support plain text. And I was very annoyed at that limitation because Ish, yeah. if... Yeah. I wanted to be able to append files or rich text. And so it was really the, the Evernote integration in shortcuts. I think it was the, the, the factor that pushed me to sort of throw everything into Evernote. But just for reference, if anybody from Evernote is listening, um, I have a list of complaints. Again, they were originally published in the Clapmax Stories newsletter. They're going to be on the website because this is a, a column that I want as many people as possible to read. But as a quick summary the iOS app should have feature parity with the Mac. Uh, the, it's, I don't think in 2019 it makes sense to, have, to treat the iOS version of a product as the smaller or companion version. Mm -hmm. Like, come on, we have iPad Pro. At least now. they seem to know this because it's like a thing that they specifically called out, right? That they want yep. to have all yep. of their apps be the same. This is like a blog post they wrote in January yeah. for their 2019 kind of goals as a company. The fact that they're being open about that fact at least gives me some hope that they're going to make so, sure yeah. that they, they get the iOS app to where they want it to be. Yeah. Or they make the Mac app worse. Who knows <laughs> which way they're around they're going to deal with it. So as a few examples. You cannot build uh, saved searches with the with a visual tool on iOS. You need to use the advanced search syntax, uh, which is ugly. Uh, on the Mac, they have a visual tool which is nice to create safe searches you can you still this is a general complaint but you still cannot have individual views per notebook so 
once you choose a type of view, it applies to all of the notebooks in Evernote. You cannot say, oh, I want this notebook to have snippet view and I want this other notebook to have grid view. Does that work on the Mac? No. Individual views? No, it's just a no. thing you want. It's just a thing. Uh, the Mac has the ability to do advanced sorting of a notebook. So you can do, uh, for example, I want to see uh, latest to oldest, but in the reverse order, for example. Um, these options are not available on iOS. The keyboard shortcuts on the iPad are, there. there's some of them, but it could be so much better. Uh, the selection is very small. And the Clipper, the Evernote Clipper for desktop computers is basically non-existent on iOS. They have a share extension, but it does not have nearly the same amount of options as the Clipper as for Safari or Google Chrome on the Mac. Um, the text editor, I should say, is better than I remembered. And it's actually, I think, the best rich text editor with support for bullet lists and indenting and outdenting that I've seen with the smart keyboard on the iPad Pro. Yep. I was very surprised at this, honestly. Um, works really well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I guess we'll follow up on Evernote before WWDC again. I want to see what happens in terms of, like, will I stick to it? Um, also, there's Keep It 1.6 just came out, but it's got some new series shortcuts to append the clipboard to a note, but it's still not as flexible as Evernote because you basically, if you want to append data to a note, you gotta cre- you gotta create individual Siri shortcuts for th- uh, that note. It's not like yeah. uh, you know in Evernote you can just set up a shortcut and say you know with the visual tool you can say append to this note because it's got like customizable parameters. Keep it is just using of course Siri shortcuts because once again Apple should allow developers to actually do native shortcut actions. Uh, but right now they are limited to Siri shortcuts. So we'll see how it goes. It cannot be understated how good and how deep the support for shortcuts is with Evernote. Oh, yeah. They have done an incredible job. You can delete notes. You can get links to uh, individual Evernote notes. And not only that, but you can choose to get the shareable link or the local you know, Evernote URL scheme totally a teaching story. I made a shortcut to append tattoo ideas to an Evernote note. So I was searching okay. for pictures of black roses um, and like to give my, my guy, my tattoo guy, some examples for reference. So I made a shortcut to simplify the process that it, the shortcut would just take a picture from the clipboard and append it to a note in Evernote. And when I was done... I just uh, I used another shortcut that, that I put together that lets me uh, easily get a link to an Evernote note from the Shortcuts app. And I created a shareable link for that note and I sent it to my tattoo guy on WhatsApp as a link. So <laughs> it got access to my examples <laughs> in my Evernote account uh, using Shortcuts. So yeah, that was very cool. It's a very Federico situation there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The unique blend of tattoos and automation. That's <laughs> my, my life in 2019. <laughs> Today's episode is also brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace with a website that has 
the ability to make your content sing, to make it look wonderful, to allow you to make any type of website you want, Squarespace will give you the tools that you need. You can create a blog, a portfolio, an online store, a site for an event, a site for a business, a site for a band, a site for a community organization that you're a part of. No matter what it is, Squarespace has all of the tools. They're an all-in-one platform to let you build any type of website you want with nothing to install or upgrade or patch. They take care of all of that stuff so you don't have to. They also have award-winning 24-7 customer support so if you need anything squarespace will be there when you need it to help you write out their templates that not only do they look good what i like about their templates if you choose one for a specific type of website like when we made our wedding website on squarespace it also included a bunch of page ideas and like a structure so we're like oh we need to put this type of information on the website because people will need this or we need this and we need this it helped us actually plan the creation of the website by being able to use their templates it's super powerful stuff really well thought out i've built so many squarespace websites over the years i imagine many more in my future and it's so easy for you to get started and try it for yourself if you go to squarespace.com connected you can get a free trial with no credit card required you can go in you can actually create your entire website make it exactly how you want and then when you're ready to set it out upon the world you sign up for one of their plans that start at just $12 a month but you can get 10% off of your purchase of a website or domain because they also do domains at Squarespace so you can get that name for your website too you'll also be supporting the show if you go to squarespace.com connected and using the code connected at checkout and you'll get yourself 10% off your first purchase so thanks to Squarespace for their support of this show Squarespace make your next move make your next website so we're going to do something a little bit different to finish mm-hmm. off today's episode, which is an idea that you had, which I thought, I don't know if I have an idea for this, and then immediately had an idea about 10 minutes later. <laughs> so the, the, the idea that you pitched to, to, to me here was, what is an app that you would like to exist that doesn't exist right now? Mm-hmm. And I, I've thought of something super boring, but it's something that I would really like. And it's an app that would integrate more tightly a task manager, and a calendar. Okay, please explain this to me. For me, tasks and calendar entries are very closely tied together. Not for everything, but for a lot of things in my life, they go hand in hand. So here's, here's something, right? When I get a uh, task like... So when I get a calendar event, say like Record Connected, there are okay. a bunch of tasks that can happen before and after that I shouldn't have to have set up. So, for example, every time I record Connected, the morning of the show, I want to have a a task pop up to say, hey, you need to do your prep. And then in the case of today's episode, an hour later, two hours after it ends, publish the show or edit the show, right? So my thinking was, imagine when you set up a recurring calendar event, that you could also have fields in the entry, which are like, what are the tasks you would like to be attached mm. to this recurring event? So every time that recurring event triggers, it also adds in a bunch of tasks. So like, for example, whenever I record an episode of Cortex, I have a, uh, I do this in things because whatever, <laughs> everyone needs multiple apps. I, I use, please, not today. Uh, I use, uh, I have a Siri shortcut and I and then I can have this like big list of tasks with all these different headings. Some happen on the day I'm editing, some editing, some is after, some is a couple of days later to make sure that I've got the whole process taken care of. But really like 
I have to now set a recurring task in Todoist. Please leave me alone. Uh, which reminds me to set the Siri shortcut. <laughs> please don't. Uh, which will trigger the thing in in uh, in things. But really, it would be great if just... And I know you can do all this stuff with automation, but I don't want that, right? Because yeah, I have more yeah. stuff that I want to do here, by the way. Like, this is just one part of this application. That, like, I can do it all in iOS, right? So then, like, when I'm setting up these new recurring events or any event. So, like, for example, if I had, if I was setting up um, an event for a, a plane trip, right? Like, I'm going on a trip. I could set a task to be, like, pack suitcase that would just appear the day before. And, like, that's just a normal thing. But then you could use machine learning. So I could say to the app, every time a flight goes in, add a pack suitcase task two days before. And also, like I was thinking, you could also analyze words that I'm using uh, and suggest due times based on calendar, like events that I typically have in my calendar. So for example, if I'm like record blank, it knows like that's a podcast. It knows it's going to take me a couple of hours maybe you could make some suggestions about where this event could go looking at what my task what my calendar events look like but also say like oh if you're putting a record would you also like to add an editing task at this time mm. knowing like because then also every time i add a task to my to-do list just in general so let's say i go in and i want to add a task in to prepare for something the due times could all be understood based upon like what other events are in my calendar? When could I actually do this? Because I'm supposed to be recording three shows in a day, right? So like integrating tasks and events could be uh, like a like a fun little thing. I also thought that you could have like events could have projects also related to them and projects of your tasks and your events could be the same. So like if I ever go to like my record podcast project, I will see all of the tasks and all of the events in one view. So, like, I can get, like, at any point, one view of all of my tasks and all of my events in the same place, and I can have everything categorized. I also thought automatically time track everything, because why not? So, that's my app. It's called 123 Event Task Calendar Manager. Uh, <laughs> and we'll get to in a minute why I have no plans to make it or have someone make it for me. That's, like, a okay. secondary part of this. But that's that's what I would like. I would like an app that integrates my tasks and my calendar events together. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay, so my idea is much sim- simpler than that. I want an app that replaces a task I ask my girlfriend to perform. Uh, do not laugh. Um, I'm totally serious. I want to have an app that basically... It's like a dictionary app with a built-in quiz mode. So okay. uh, right now, I so as a non-native English person, um, I save a lot of words when I'm reading. And I right now, my favorite dictionary app is Lookup, um, which got it has this collections feature that lets me save, uh, for example, verbs in their own folder and you know adjectives in their own folder and adverbs and all that kind of stuff. So I have multiple collections for different types of words that I discover when reading. Uh, but then, and I've been doing this for years with different apps, every once in a while I ask Sylvia to go through my list of saved words and ask me about their meaning to see if I've memorized those words mm-hmm. and if I remember what they mean. I think even for non-native English speakers, if you take the time... 
to learn a word of the day, it's only yeah. useful if you can remember the word. Exactly, exactly. Like right? <laughs> most of these word of the day apps, they would you know send you a notification and you read the meaning. You're like, oh yeah, that's pretty cool, and then you forget about it. <laughs> Who remembers it? You didn't know it in the first place. So like, exactly. why is just reading it one time? Like, I'm sure that every now and then one of them will resonate, and you'll be like, oh yeah, I will remember that because that's I've been looking for a word like this. But yeah, so. And and I've been doing this for years, you know, either when we're driving or when we have, I don't know, five minutes and Sylvia's doing nothing. I would be like, hey, you want to quiz me on the words that I've saved? Um, but it would be so much better. I mean, I would still sort of ask her to do it, but it, it should be frictionless. Like right now, in, especially in Lookup, she needs to open a collection and select an individual word and then navigate to a separate screen to see what it means. Instead, I would like to have a dictionary app that lets me save words in collection. And this could be a new app or it could be, ideally it should be a specific mode of lookup because I really like lookup. Um, There should be a quiz slash flashcard mode that would basically take a collection and create like a a specific game view or like a practice mode or again, like flashcard mode that strips out all of the UI and just gives you a card with the with the word that you want to ask about and the primary meaning of that word and that's it like you can swipe through all of these flashcards all of these you know multiple questions and there don't need to be points i mean there could be points if you really want to if you really want to monitor progress and sort of gamify the entire thing but for me it would be enough just to have like like a presentation mode but it's for words and definitions and uh, it's sort of structured like a flashcard type of deal Um, there are some apps to do this on on the app store but they're not really optimized for this kind of usage they're they're more like they're generic uh, flashcard apps that you can sort of make work for dictionaries but I really want this to be a feature of my main dictionary app. And maybe, you know, there could be like, uh, like I was thinking, there could be uh, optional settings that you could turn on, like Wikipedia integration, if you want to quiz me about topics instead of words, or there could be like the ability to show multiple meanings, like some words, you know, they have multiple meanings and it could be nice to, to be able to guess both. But yeah, uh, I want to be able to save my list of words, as I always have. Uh, now in Lookup, I even get to save them in separate collections, which is great. But when I need to practice my memorization of those words, I would like to have this separate mode. All right, so we both have these ideas for apps that we want. So why don't we just like make them or hire someone to make them? Well... The primary, my, the primary reason is just I, I just don't have the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I'm doing already so many things and so many projects going on that, you know, it's not as uh, making apps, making an app for it is not as easy as it was in 2008. It's, uh, you know, just asking somebody, like the entire process of planning and finding a person and budgeting, you know, how much money you want to invest in this and thinking of the business model and doing support later if you can reach the end of the project and release the app on the app store. It's it's a whole separate career. And I already have a career. I already have a job. I actually have multiple jobs because I write and I talk on podcasts. So I just if I were to add 
app developer or app director. Gosh, that's an ugly and stupid word. But if I were to do that, I would basically stop spending time with my girlfriend and my dogs and my friends. So um, I prefer to keep doing my job and just wish for things to happen eventually, you know? Yep. Like this is the thing that, that I've heard a lot when, talk, you know, when with the Cortex brand stuff, we've asked for people to who make stuff that could be interesting that would like think that they could make something that we, me and Gray would be interested in to reach out. And I've heard from a lot of people that make software and I have no desire to make software. One for that reason Two, like this is part of like us creating a business and I am unsure about the long-term viability of any type of software product. Mm -hmm. It is very hard to make money in apps not impossible but it's difficult you know this is something that we we talk about this all the time and i don't know if i want to invest time money and attention into something that i am not necessarily confident would be a a thing that could end up making money in the long run considering the amount of time and attention i have to put in it which is not a ton like I, there's other stuff that i can do and that we will do that would I know more about and would take less time to make profit, right? If it's a business that we're building here, that's pretty important, um, especially because I have no desire in like building a company to try and get it bought by someone and doing all of that and getting VC and like, I don't want mm -hmm. to do anything like that. The other thing is I have pretty high standards for what I consider to be quality software mm -hmm. and getting that right is very difficult to do. Yeah. So I'm not confident in my ability to get it right for me or for other people even. Um, I leave that kind of stuff to the experts. But Yeah. And also I guess my problem is that I know myself and if I, like, I wouldn't be able to direct something that if something is not right or up to my standards or my taste... I was not able to fix myself, mm. which means I would need to learn programming because I know myself and I I wouldn't like going to a developer or a designer and saying, you need to do this in another way. I would want to be able to directly fix it like I do for articles on Mac stories, for example. I don't just give general guidelines. I actually provide edits or suggestions for how to actually improve an article. Um, and the idea of, I'm just this guy with an idea. It's just not how I work, just not how I'm built. And so I know that I would end up learning Swift and the basics of programming. And again, I cannot afford to do that because I don't have the time and because I my my job is something else. So... Uh, I actually like that I can throw ideas into the wind and hoping that somebody picks them up and and makes them. So this is why I wanted to talk about this on the show because maybe somebody's going to develop, hold on, one, two, three, event task calendar manager <laughs> or what's the name of my app? Um, uh, am I allowed to use the, the, the one, two, three brand? Yeah, of course. Uh, one, two, three, word quiz. Is is what I'm going for. One, two, so, three word quiz. It's <laughs> good. Yeah, yeah, it's just like it's a it's a time and attention thing. Like can't yeah, and yeah. won't do everything, but there's still stuff that I would like. You know? 
Yeah, you can, you can, you can, again, you can wish for things. Um, like, I, you know, we were talking earlier about stuff we'd like to see. In the, we're not going to make iPhones. We're not going to make smartphones, but I know that there's things I would like different in them, but I'm not mm-hmm. going to make those. So th- well, I think that brings it to the end of the episode, Federico. No, I just wanted to note that before we wrap up that mm-hmm. Stephen told me his wish is for a better Remember the Milk client. Just an icon, so. just a new icon. <laughs> His whole software play is just a new icon. He's currently protesting outside of Remember the Milk's head office. <laughs> That's why he's not on the show mm-hmm. this week. Yeah, yeah. And then he's going to move over to, to Todoist and ask them to just give him sorting options on iOS. That's all he wants. That's all he wants. <laughs> you can find our show notes today over at relay.fm slash connected slash 232. Thanks to Eero, Luna Display, and Squarespace for their support. You can find Federico at maxstories.net, appstories.net as well. Congratulations on your 100th episode of App Stories. Thank you. Um, you can find him He's at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I, on Twitter and Instagram. I am iMike, I-M-Y-K-E, uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Steven is at ISMH on Twitter, and I cannot remember what his Instagram is uh, because he lost ISMH. It's like Stephen <laughs> M. Hackett, I think. Probably. But yeah. don't search ISMH because no, like, it was really please. upsetting once. Like, don't Please don't do that. <laughs> Uh, we'll be back next time and Stephen will be back and he's going to wrestle control from the of the show back away from us uh, sadly until, until then uh, say goodbye Federico arrivederci cheerio adios just said both <laughs>